Welcome into another edition of the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity. Count on a powerful and secure Wi-Fi connection for all your devices. Xfinity XFi, can your internet do that? It's week eight. The Texans are back at home. They are hosting the Los Angeles Rams. It's Kids Day, and we've got a great podcast. It's a three-parter, which I don't think I've done for a while. So uh, our player of the week that I sat down with in the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity was Jonathan Grenard having a great season. And then, of course, we will preview the Rams with Bally Sports reporter. She covers the NFL, Serena Morales. And then, as a special bonus, I sit down with Ryan Records, who's a senior mascot coordinator for Toro, because Toro can't do interviews, because Toro's got a big day coming up on Sunday. It's Kids Day. He's got lots to plan. He's also named Mascot of the Year, so he'll get his trophy presentation at halftime. We go a little behind the scenes on what it's like working with Toro, being a mascot, and all it entails on game day. It's all coming up on this week's podcast. But first, Texans fans, Xfinity delivers the fastest internet in Houston, so you can do more of what you love. Stream the game on a powerful and secure Wi-Fi network and keep your home team happy with a reliable connection for all your devices. Xfinity XFi, can your internet do that? Let's get right into it. John Grenard, he's in year two. He was a third-round selection last year. And, man, is he having a great season. Despite the fact that the Texans are losing on the field, he still shows up and makes plays every single week. He currently leads the Texans with six sacks. He's got 17 tackles, seven tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits, and a forced fumble through five games. Oh, yes, that's right. He hasn't even played all seven games. He's logged all these stats in just the five games since he's been back. So I had a chance to sit down with him, ask him about his season so far, what makes him so successful when it comes to getting at the quarterback. And then we go a little deep dive. We go a little deep slant with John Grenard talking about his mom, a really great interview and some background on his relationship with his mom and how he grew up. And uh, you probably haven't heard it anywhere else. So we really get into it with John Grenard. What a great interview. Fantastic, fantastic to catch up with him and, and see what he's doing on the field as well. So let's get right into it. It's John Grenard on the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity. Jonathan Grenard, bright spot as head coach David Culley describes him. How has it been for you in year two, just healthy, getting back on the field, getting some plays out there? It's fun. I think just with a new feel of everything, you know, with new coaching staff, uh, new players as well, I think overall we just kind of have that that new feel, and I think we're all hungry. I think we all got kind of got a clean slate here. And I think just all of us jumping together and all having that same mindset of, you know, some guys are here on one-year deals and stuff like that. They're just trying to put their best foot forward. And I think when you have that all in the room in general, not just on the defensive side but on the other side as well in all aspects, it helps everybody just to – one thing you don't have to worry about is effort. And I think that one thing keeps driving us to make the plays and stuff like that. All right, speaking of effort, you've had multi-sack back-to-back games. So right. two sacks in back-to-back games. It seems like you're really getting to the quarterback. Is something different for you this year? What's What's been your secret to really getting after it after these quarterbacks? Yeah, I think uh, last year just getting my feet wet a little bit, understanding how the game goes uh, helped me out a lot in those aspects just to get a feel for it. Um, but definitely just to continue just to keep playing. Like I said, with this with this new staff, new system, and the new scheme we run, it just lets people play. It lets the guys just go, you know, getting your gap gives you assignment and not to think that much and just go make plays. So I think – once the thinking aspect was taken out of it, uh, especially coming from last year with a different defense, um, I was just able to go, and I think that's what we're seeing now, just me just continuing to be relentless in effort uh, just so that way I can try to make the most plays for the team. All right, so you didn't play the first two games, mm-hmm. or the first five games of the season, you got six sacks, mm-hmm. which leads the Texans, but uh, here's a fun stat. You lead all players age 24 and younger mm-hmm. in sacks at, at wow. this point in the year. You're also getting after the running backs. I don't want to just say you're getting <laughs> after the, the quarterbacks. Yeah. 
The year one to year two jump, that's something that we hear a lot about. You're right. still really young. You're early in your career. But how different are you now than you were a year ago? Yeah, like I said, I'm just more confident. Now. I think overall, just like I said, having that year in the league, understanding that, you know, it's it's still football at the end of the day. Most people can say that, but actually knowing that in, when you're on the field is a totally different thing. And I think when I just put that to the side and understand, okay, it's football at the end of the day. These guys put their stuff on the same way. Um, and – the stuff that you work on the offseason, use it. I mean, these are things that, you know, you don't work on them for, for nothing. And these are things that guys probably haven't seen when you ask them new to your repertoire. So um, I think the success just comes from that. Now, I work really hard in the offseason, and even still to this point, I still work hard to keep my body right so that way I can make these plays uh, week in and week out. So um, I'm excited. I mean, it's just the beginning for me. I'm still excited for where this team goes. I mean, we've got a lot in the tank. I think we just got to now just put it on tape, just finish it out so that way we can get the result we want to get. Yeah, obviously not the result that you guys want right. so far. Uh, Levy Smith said, you know, we think the sack numbers are really high for you, but Levy Smith said that you probably – that you still left some sacks on the field. Yeah, yeah. Do you <laughs> feel that in-game? Do you feel like, oh, that was that was a missed opportunity, or is that something that you go back and you watch the film and you see it? It's a little bit of both, but majority of times I, I see it or I feel it like as soon as I the play happens, I come to the sideline like, oh, I should have had that one. Like, I just know that, you know – Nicole's game, I got tripped up. I know I should have had that one. Or as a, a holding call, you just see that, you know, whether you clear this hand or that's that goes back to your training, you know, uh, clean, clearing those hands so that way they can't hold you so that way you don't not get the sacks. All those little small details that you have to hone in on. And I, as D lineman or anybody knows, you, when, you, when you miss the play because of a technique thing, you know it instantly. Okay, so I've read that you actually started playing football. It was a, a funny story. Yeah. You were four years old. Yeah. And somebody approached your mom about yeah. whether or not you played football. Yeah, it was funny. I, um, she says it to this day, and I, I, I remember the day, but I just don't remember um, the way she explains it. So, I mean, I was just a kid out there playing football, having fun. And, you know, uh, my coach at the time was like, hey, you just come play football. And I never knew anything about it. So, when they brought it, my mom and my dad brought it to us, me and my brother, um, he was – he was bigger than I was, so you knew he was playing offensive line, but I was going to play running back. But I started off as uh, a lineman as well, and it, it took for me to take a handoff as a nose guard. I ended up running through the line, taking a handoff back, literally out the quarterback's hand. It was like, okay, well, this kid's playing running back. <laughs> and I honestly played running back all the way up until, like, my ninth, tenth grade year of high school. So, And then they moved me to – I made the transition to tight end, receiver, and D-line. So my, those dreams of those days were over with once I hit a growth spurt. So I couldn't play running back anymore. You're so on I, the defense. <laughs> so you could still you could still get the ball in your hands, oh, but yeah, it, it'd sure. have to be a major play right, for that right. to happen. For sure. All right, you said something once in an interview that really intrigued me. You said, we never knew as kids what we were going through until we were older and realized what was going on. At that time, you said your mom made it seem like you were living in high fashion. Oh, yeah, for sure. So how did your mom make you feel that you were living the lo living a big life when yeah, you weren't? Yeah, I just got to know her. I mean, it's I can explain it, but she has this energy sometimes or we didn't realize it back then. But, I mean, she just makes – she's not to keep everything calm. I mean, she's been through so much in her life to know she not she know how to weather any storm honestly it's so many stories we have growing up me my brother and my sister of us just like i said we 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 thought we were living lavish but i mean we look back now and it's like okay well we did we struggled a little bit i mean like everybody has their stories we had tough times but she, you would never know under the, under that roof i mean we had times where it was money was tight food was tight but we had a meal somehow whether it was scrapped together or not we we ate so that's all i knew my my stomach was full I had clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, and a roof over my head, and and that's all. I, that's all that mattered. And then she didn't, she didn't put that on us. She didn't cast the stress or worries on us. And you never seen it on her face. She will come into the house, hey, how you doing, babe? Get us a kiss and all that. And she's straight to cooking every week. I mean, every day. I mean, it's just like a routine for her. So that hats off to her. I, I love that lady to death. And uh, those are things that you know you, you you take pride in and you cherish those moments because of the struggle that she not only were we going through, but 
think about what she had yeah, to of course. do to, to, to mask all of that. And, and my sister, she was older than all of us. She's 10 years older than me. So at the time, she kind of knew what was going on. But obviously, hats off to her as well. She never let that be known with us as me and my me and my brother being the youngest. We didn't know any, any of that was going on the whole time. They were letting you guys have just a normal, oh, carefree man. childhood. Listen, at, at what point did you realize that it that things were tougher than she let on? I think it was when I was um, – it's a story as well. When we were in the recruiting process, I was a senior in high school. We well, going into my senior year, and we went for a visit up to the U.K. For, for a camp, University of Kentucky. And we went up there, and obviously things didn't go as planned, and uh, we had to make a transition down to Louisville. But at the time, we only had our plans to go to U.K. at the time, money-wise. But we ended up having to scrap some, some stuff together, um, some coins together, and end up calling people to, to send money so that we were able to go to Louisville and, hell, even make it back home. So From Kentucky, from which Louisville, it wasn't. Which is, like I said, Louisville to Georgia, that's about five-and-a-half-hour drive. Yeah. So um, gas ain't cheap. So when, when, when those situations arose, I think that was a time when I was like, okay, well, I— I see how it is now. I understand that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. I mean, this is money is not just a thing that we don't have to worry about. It's a thing that we, my mom definitely makes it a priority for us. So when I seen that happen, I, I instantly know I said, well, at this point now, I got to make it. I got to be, be to this point where she has never had to be in a situation where you got to ask anybody for money or anything that monetary, whatever, physical, whatever it has to be. She would never have to worry about that again. And I think from that point on, I took that on my shoulder and I said, okay, I'm going to take care of her. Is that the biggest motivation for you as far as playing football and why you want to be successful in, yeah, the, in the NFL? For sure. I think not just her, but just my family in general. We we just, like I said, me, it was me and my brother and my sister and my mom pretty much, and obviously with my father at the time. But it was just basically us pretty much our whole lives, and I think that's why we stick together so much now. I just want to take care of them. I mean, they're the ones who pretty much, you know, I, I cried on their shoulders. I, they cried on my shoulders. We all stuck together, and it's not that many of us. we got a small circle of family. But just to see the joy in their faces uh, when, when things when, – when they have one less thing to worry about, it, that just makes my joy. I, I don't have to have anything else, but as long as they're straight, I'm good. Oh, that sounds – that's really nice. Oh, You're just sure. so so close to your family. Oh, for sure. Were you promoting your mom's book recently oh, on man. social media? Yeah, go get that. My mom – Your mom wrote a book? My mom has a book, man. It's – it's telling her life story, and I think uh, I really want you all to read it. All right, what's by, the book called? What's your mom? Get, give your mom's name and give the book details. Her name is Carmen Grenard Varnum. Her book is By His Grace, I Am Here. I mean, it, it's it's literally what the title is. And I, she's been through so much. Her story, um, her growing up in the foster care system to now able to raise three children of her own, and and, and, and obviously with the help of my stepfather and my, my, my father. But but at the time, most times she was with my sister by herself when she was young. I mean, her, uh, her upbringing was really, really tough. For her to be sane um, or the same woman with this, so much energy, it, it's amazing. Once you read the book and understand the, the background of where she came from, it, it, it touches me. I haven't read it yet. I mean, I've, I've not read re many books in my life. You're going to um, read this one, though. This is going to be a book that I, I pretty much am going to read from top to bottom. It's going to leave some tears. It's going to have tears. It's going to have do you laughs. Know, do you know your mom's whole story? I know. Will there be surprises I, in I it for you? I know majority of the story. Some stuff she's, she's, she's not told me all the way just because she knows how emotional I'm about her. She knows Aww. that she knows that certain things that will kind of not not I won't I never will look at her uh, sideways or, or a different way, but it's just to be like wow you really went through that you were you you're still here to this day you know on on two feet sane and 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 healthy with with children looking beautiful I mean at 54 she just had a birthday her birthday actually was on the 24th so oh happy birthday yeah happy, shout, out to, shout out to my dude so <laughs> uh, but yeah man I think the book for her 
she's been talking about it. she's been in the works of it for about a couple of years now couple of years yeah so from now actually to get the story out there published and actually with a book cover with her picture on it everything wow the whole process is, is, a, is a whole process but every time we talk about the book I mean she's been writing I remember she just would write chapters just to be writing them down and literally in the middle of her writing she's just bursting out in tears just because of the emotions of going back to the past and stuff like that but that's why like i said her her energy her 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 drive her determination i get that from her i mean i don't put up with nothing she don't put up with nothing either and i just got that grinding mentality she gonna get it some type of way one thing about my mom a hustler she gonna get it some type of way that's that's why we're in the situation we are now because of how she's just poured that into me and i'm bringing that up to this are point. you in the book too you think you're in the book i hope so <laughs> <laughs> i hope i think no i definitely am i, I mean you know that part of the story sure. but... I, I, I know i'm in the book but uh <laughs> I, I think i'll probably come a little bit later on because like i think i mean so much stuff happened before i was even born i mean my, me and my sister were 10 years apart so you got to think from the 10 year point from when she, my sister was born and obviously my brother were, three, were four years apart and even in those times i mean just everything that's transpired between that point in time you'll see and it's like wow she's even sane enough to even have two more children after my sister so it, it's crazy my mom she's a fighter man she's a warrior I, I think when people really get to know her and understand her they'll really understand why her energy and why she's so loving my mom has no enemies i mean if you have an enemy if you're an enemy of my mom you got to check yourself to be there's honest. something wrong with there's you something wrong with you <laughs> it's just because i mean she has a way don't get me wrong obviously everybody does but i think her passion for wanting to you know mend relationships or be the person that you can cry on or you know just somebody to vent to she wants to be that person and you'll understand why within her book so uh for y'all out there definitely go check out the book it's definitely hitting the stores she has her book signing uh the 14th of november i'll be traveling back to, for that to see that as well and i'm just happy for her i'm so and proud of her i mean that is huge it, it's huge and man. it's called by by his grace by his grace uh it, it's when i tell you that that title could not be more fitting than any other title so she took her time with this one um and i i think nobody will be disappointed all right so you talk about her drive but your drive you're 18 yeah. credit hours away from getting your mba i am have you chipped away at any of that, or what's your plans for that? Uh, with COVID, changed everything up. I definitely do anticipate to finish it within this next year. Really? Uh, hopefully within the season. Well, the season's got to get through first, and then um, uh, that off season. Like I said, really, eighteen credit hours is just a full year, to be honest. So I think I, I can, if I have it in the tank, I just want to get it out the way while I still have college on my mind. Yeah, you're because, not too far removed you know from what it saying? yet. So I think over when I when I get to that point, I, I know I need to get a move on it. But I still got a good relationship with the director uh, there at the program um, with Parker and guys like that. This so is at um, this is at Florida. Florida. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I still have a good relationship with them. So I, I pretty much is just when I get the timing for it, I'm gonna finish it up. I, I, that's that's something I gotta finish. I, I started it. I gotta finish. Are it. you a good student? Like, what? How are you in the classroom yeah, or here in the meetings? It's crazy. So, uh, high school, I was not the greatest student, but it wasn't a matter of me not knowing the information. I just, I didn't apply myself. So, um, once I actually applied myself and realized, okay, well, this work is not hard. It's just you, once you put your mind to it and knock it out, you'll be like, okay, you 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 have to take the the small lessons out of it. And then obviously we know that GPA is like I say this to everybody. GPA is not a matter of how smart you are, just about how disciplined you are. Sure. So once I got over that hump of like, okay, these people really just think that I'm dumb. Or I don't know this information. Really, it's like, look, no, we're setting you up for these lessons in life. And I think overall, once I mastered that that lesson from it, um, I was a better student in the classroom and in the football field too. So it helped out. All right, so Lovey says that you're still coming into your own. He says that you still have your best football ahead of you. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, and, and how do you think you're going to get better here throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I, I've been, I'm a guy who I'm, – I'm my worst own critic. I literally – if you can say I had a good game, 
I don't think I may have a good game just because of maybe it's a couple plays in there that I feel like I wasn't perfect on my technique. I try to be perfectionist. This game is about trying to be perfect, trying to find the next step to enhance your game to where you're beating your opponent at, at the snap of a finger. So I think overall, yeah, I, I'm definitely on that same boat as he is just because of the things I know I'm capable of as far as just getting healthier, making sure the body feels right, making sure my mind is right, you know, just making sure technique, everything is cleaned up so that way I can be a more efficient player. All right, looking forward to seeing it, John. Always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. This week, John Grenard will have to go up against the Los Angeles Rams, led by Matthew Stafford. He is off to one of the best starts of his career. 19 touchdowns, four interceptions, 116.8 passer rating. He threw three touchdowns in the win against his former team, the Lions, last week. And alongside Cooper Cup, he's got got nine touchdowns through just seven games. And he could be on pace to break 2,000 receiving yards. Right now, the way it stands, he's on pace to break 1,965 yards and 22 touchdowns, which in itself is a lot. It's crazy. So I had a chance to catch up with Serena Morales. She used to be the Rams team reporter. Now she's with Bally Sports. She covers the NFL for them. And find out what this Rams team's about. Do they have any weaknesses? And what to expect from them Sunday when they head to Houston. Serena, always good to have you. How would you gauge the excitement level in Los Angeles from now compared to some of the years where Jared Goff was there? You know, it it gives you like the the when they went to the Super Bowl vibes a little bit. There's like this rejuvenation of hope. Obviously, the last season with Jared Goff, uh, just last season, that game where they lost to the Jets, all the air was sort of like let out of the room. Like, oh gosh, it's done. They're not going anywhere with this quarterback. And so when you see Matthew Stafford and what he's done and just the crazy connections he's made with Cooper Cup so far, Cooper Cup is like 56 receptions and nine touchdowns, like insane. It's leading the league in a ton of categories. And it's mostly because during the preseason, when I was still with the Rams and covering them, I saw this magic between these two like masterminds on offense and, you know, Sean McVay, who's also his own savant when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're all just like foaming from the mouth. Like, Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. So I think it's been cool to see like come to fruition and LA. I mean, I, they're packed. SoFi stadium is packed every freaking Sunday when they're at home. I remember going out there and watching the Rams a few years ago and it was, Empty. They were still in that old Olympic stadium. Um, and, and so yep. <laughs> they've, they've definitely got their fans up. All right, let's talk about Matthew Stafford because he just passed 300 career touchdowns and three touchdowns in Sunday's game against the Lions. He's put up some of the best numbers of his career right now. So I know the expectations were pretty high for him, but what's been the biggest surprise about him so far this season? Well, look, I think one, he is way more protected than he ever has been. You have Andrew Whitworth, um, Brian Allen, their center. There were a lot of questions, actually, after the Rams lost center Austin Blythe, who went to the Chiefs. Who's going to fill that spot? Austin Corbett, is he going to move in from guard to center? Brian Allen had been with the team for a long time. They didn't really fill, if you notice, like during the draft, the Rams didn't fill a lot of spots Uh, on offensive line and a lot of reporters were like hey what happened I thought you were going to try and protect Matthew Stafford and I even joke with Matthew Stafford's wife at one point she's like oh I hope they get a couple offensive linemen but lo and behold the the team who felt good about who they had Brian Allen such a used to be a former wrestler we love those like low steady sort of guys that are built to just block who's ever coming at their quarterback and Brian Allen's done a great job doing that they still have Austin Corbett um Andrew Whitworth, such a veteran in the league, could probably play as old as when Tom Brady decides to retire. The two of them are neck and neck. And I think that 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 
that cohesiveness at offensive line has been very helpful. I watched film with uh, Sean McVay and a few uh, beat writers this off season. McVay wanted to show all of the writers like, hey, this is why I get so excited about Matthew Stafford. His calmness in the pocket, his ability to move when he is about to get sacked is beyond impressive to the human eye. If you watch things in slow motion and he goes through all of his reads and then he goes back and makes the best decision, which is why you've seen more Tyler Higby uh, receptions this season. It's why you're seeing like that balance of Van Jefferson who's popped this season. Robert Woods is certainly making a splash when he can. And you're seeing other targets besides Cooper Cup. Now, obviously he's Matthew Stafford's favorite target, but I think you're getting a lot of different mixes. It depends on the play. But yeah, I think his ability to be just calm under center, his ability to be protected by that offensive line, and his ability to make really smart throws and protect the football, something I think we saw Jared Goff not do so well in seasons prior. All right, 19 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Stafford's obviously having a great season. But being there with Sean McVay, how much has McVay really used that offense to suit Stafford? What, what are the biggest differences that you've seen from last year to this year? Yeah, I, I mean, just basically Sean McVay opened up the playbook and was like, oh, let's go to page 52. We haven't gone to that page in a while. Just I think, you know, Sean McVay loves disguising his offenses. Remember, like back when they ran for the Super Bowl it was in 2018. He ran that 11 personnel 90 percent of the time. It was Brandon Cooks, who you guys are familiar with, and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and they ran all of those wide receivers, but one was blocking and one was running its route and the other one was running as a running back. And he sort of disguised all those plays. Todd Gurley was on the team at the time and it was successful. And then they got figured out. So the fact that he is able to, I mean, look, he wasn't able to make these risky plays and take chances on Jared Goff because Jared Goff was still, you know, building up himself. I mean, look, Jared Goff is not a mobile quarterback. We've seen him. Um, I think he actually played really well against his former team just last week in week seven when the Lions came to SoFi Stadium and played the Rams. But he's able to make ch take chances. He's able to really go deep into that playbook. And that's where you're seeing a bunch of different routes being played. I mean, obviously, you know, there's still this, the standard, you know, Rams plays on offense, but when it comes to Matthew Stafford, you'll see this man will really take time to make the, the right decision and make the right throw downfield. A lot of their throws are a lot deeper. I think than years prior with Jared Goff. All right. You mentioned Cooper Cup, and he's the first wide receiver in the Super Bowl era to have over 800 yards receiving and nine touchdowns through the first seven games. So obviously he's quite a favorite target of Matthew Stafford, but other teams know that he's going to get the ball and yet he still finds a way to get open. I mean, what does he do so well and how has he really evolved this year with Stafford's edition? He's a book nerd. He stays in that, like the meeting rooms. He is like the Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, like the three of them, they all hung out. If they were back in high school, they would be standing by their lockers and being like, oh man, did you talk about math class? Like how exciting to learn new things in math class. Like that's who he is, Cooper Cup. And then, you know, obviously he is supported in that wide receiver room because you usually don't, we all know this, we cover football. Wide receivers, they want that ball, right? Wait, luckily Cooper Cup is in a room with guys like Robert Woods and Van Jefferson and Deshaun Jackson, 
who are looking to Sean Jackson, definitely in the past would be like, I want that ball, but he's in a veteran stage of his life. And he's like, look, I'm trying to help out a team. I'm trying to get a ring. So there's a different sort of like wide receiver core that it's perfect for a guy like Cooper cup. Who's very selfless. I mean, that man, you'll see him if he's not getting the ball, he's making blocks. And so I am really excited to see this wide receiver group that is so selfless be, be, be so successful. And I think like Sean McVay has even said it in the past this season, just, you know, I got to make sure that I get Robert Woods in the mix. I got to make sure Van Jefferson had the first touchdown for the Rams this season. We were all our eyes were on Cooper cup during the preseason and the magic we saw during training camp. And who was the first receiver to get a touchdown? It was Van Jefferson. Sean McVay knows this stuff. So even though, yes, all eyes are on Cooper Cup, I would watch out for other receivers like the Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby, who's great with his hands, and uh, and Robert Woods. All right, this Rams offense loves to pass the ball, obviously. But uh, the injuries to the running backs have been interesting. Obviously, they lost Cam Akers before the start of the season. And it seems like ever since the departure of Todd Gurley, they haven't really had a three down back. They've got Sony Michelle on the roster, but do you think that Daryl Henderson is that guy for the Rams as far as the run game is concerned, or is it going to be running back by committee now here for the rest of the year? We would like to see uh, Daryl Henderson, I think, take that more like leadership role. He's been dinged up too. I mean, he had a few, I believe they were broken ribs or he had rib injury uh, earlier this season. I sent him a text. I was like, hey, how are those ribs doing? And he's like, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So look, the toughness is there. His ability to like jump in, even when he's dinged up is there. And that's what you want to see. Obviously, Sonny Michelle coming from the Patriots early on in the season, they, they grabbed him obviously when Cam Akers went down. Sean McVay loves to tease the press and he's like, we may see Cam Akers come back this season if they go to the playoffs and make that run. But I think Daryl Henderson has great hands as a running back. He's He's been successful so far. It really came down to Cam Akers, who really proved himself last season. Is He was the every down back. And now that Cam Akers is out, I think it's Daryl Henderson or Buss. Like, go get him, Tiger. And I think now that he knows, okay, I've got the time to really flourish. Because remember, Daryl Henderson was un- under Todd Gurley, was under Malcolm Brown for those first few seasons. And so now he's like, oh, man, I'm ready to go. And it's not like I've got to keep proving myself, proving myself. Now it's like I just have to play my game and go and stay healthy. And that's been the main concern for Daryl Henderson is that he keeps getting these little dinged up, you know, injuries here and there. So he's got to stay healthy. Otherwise, yeah, Sony Michelle, you're the next man up. And and by the way, let's not sleep on Jake Funk. I would love to see uh, Adam Maryland, one of the draft later draft picks for the Rams. I'm waiting to for SoFi Stadium to play, we've got the funk when Jake Funk scores a touchdown. But Jake Funk, I, I think he's just got like such a good, like he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's gone through his own injuries, but he's another one that maybe we see step up if we don't see Daryl Henderson continuing to do what he's doing on offense. All right, let's talk about that Rams defense because they rank near the top of the league in sacks. And in interceptions, 20 sacks, 10 interceptions. But last week, they gave up 415 net yards to the Lions. So is there an Achilles heel to this Rams defense, or was that just a one-time game for them? Look, I give credit to uh, the Lions who, Dan Campbell, his name is now Man Campbell in my eyes because, holy cow, this coach threw the kitchen sink, the fridge, the pans, everything at this game to try and get a win against the Lions. Those special teams plays really, I think, got the Rams off guard a little bit. So, yes, I think they need to be able to stop the run better. 
it, when needed, that's where you see the Aaron Donald step up. And I think he put a lot of pressure on Jared Goff uh, against the, the Lions just last week. Jalen Ramsey never questioned the kid, got an interception and took that. You know, that was a close game against the Rams and Lions. I think it gives a lot of teams who only have a win or so some hope like, hey, we can beat this team. But I also think there was a lot of familiarity with that team in general. I mean, we we look at the Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, you know, trade there. But the the Detroit Lions also have Nikel Roby Coleman, a cornerback who used to play for the Rams. Kaderil Hodge, who's a wide receiver, used to play for the Rams. Michael Brockers, defensive lineman, used to play for the Rams. Their cornerback, Rams former cornerbacks coach, um, you is now the DB's coach for the Lions and their GM, Brad Holmes, used to be the director of scouting for the Rams. So I just think there's a whole lot of like, we know how the Rams are going to play. They're going to do a couple moves that we're familiar with and we'll be prepared for. So I think it was more that, um, you know, it was interesting. Very recently, they traded uh, Kenny Young linebacker over to the Broncos who needed some depth at linebacker. He joins former Ram Michael Kaiser over there with the Broncos. But there is this talk of when, when Sean McVay was asked about that trade earlier this week, there's a financial stake in that, but also they have a rookie linebacker, Ernest Jones out of South Carolina, who's really expected to step up. I thought he played really well this preseason and during training camp, he splashed. So look, if there's going to be this like, Hey, um, you know, Achilles heel, if you will, maybe, you know, they're looking to see who can, who can break who, but I really don't see any weak spots when it comes to the Rams defense. I think it was more of the outlier that there was so much familiarity with the lions and um, Rams from last weekend. Well, they'll face Jalen Ramsey as well. And the last time they faced Jalen Ramsey, he was still with the Jaguars and it might've been his last game as a Jaguar. Uh, that's when the trade talk started. So they'll face him again. They've got a lot of familiarity there. Serena, always a pleasure uh, catching up with you. Um, have a great game day, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. Great stuff from Serena. You can follow her at Serena on Twitter. She covers the NFL for Bally, like I said. Used to be the team reporter for the Rams. And uh, now, on Sunday, the Texans. They host the Rams. It is Kids Day. It is Halloween. There's a lot going on. And Toro's going to be a big, big part of it. I had a chance to sit down with Ryan Records. He helps manage Toro, his social media, the appearances. He gave us a little behind-the-scenes look on what it's like for game day, working with Toro, and all the prep that goes into everything that Toro does for Texans games and out in the community, and also why he thinks that Toro won mascot of the year, what really set him apart from the other mascots in the NFL. It's a pretty cool answer. So we've got all that right here on the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity. Special guest this week, Brian Records, Senior Mascot Coordinator for Toro, who is the NFL's mascot of the year. And on this video version, I can see this humongous trophy. So first of all, Ryan, congratulations on Toro being named mascot of the year. Um, thank you. Thank you. How does it feel? Oh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. So I've been, I've been working here. This is my seventh season working with Toro. And when I first joined the team, like that was like, our goal was to have the number one mascot program in the NFL. So to finally have the trophy, it's uh, it kind of feels like we've kind of, we've done it. We've accomplished our goal, but we've got uh, a lot planned. So we don't plan on just stopping here. We got a lot more stuff in order. All right. So for those of you, the people that don't know, what does your role with Toro include? Because we say senior mascot coordinator, what does that really mean to people outside of the organization? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and my title is even longer than that. I think at this point, I wear a lot of different hats. 
but yeah, basically my job is just kind of handle the day-to-day operations of the mascot program. So I'm answering calls, responding to appearance requests, working internally to make sure we're, you know, working with our community department and our marketing department and with our sponsorship department and making sure we're kind of accomplishing all their goals. And on top of that, we go out into the community and I'm with Toro at all of our appearances and uh, we do a lot of educational school programs. So when we're in a school, I host our school programs. Uh, I also help out with Toro's social media accounts. So a lot of times on game day, it's not Toro posting, it's me. Because obviously Toro's a little busy on game day posting on Twitter. But uh, yeah, like I said, lots of hats, uh, but it's a blast. I love what I do. All right. Well, that's, it's also handy because Toro doesn't speak. So I, it's very hard for me to get Toro to do an interview as much as I'd like to have him on. But I want to ask you about mascot of the year. What was that selection process like? Like what? What, what does that competition look like and how did Toro get picked? I mean, we obviously know he's great, but how did he get picked to be mascot of the year? Yeah. So every year uh, there's an NFL mascot conference. So all the NFL mascots get together. Uh, they talk about, well, talk, right. About what uh, has worked well, what they've been up to different programs. They've been uh, working with just kind of like a meeting of the minds. And it's a chance for guys to celebrate their accomplishments and uh, share different things that can work in different markets Uh, And on top of that, they always vote for a bunch of awards. So Torres actually won awards a couple of times. So he's won stunt of the year before, but had never won mascot of the year. So it's voted on by our peers. So all the other mascots vote every single time for each award. And uh, so all the other mascots got together. And this year, Toro had the most votes. And so NFL mascot of the year. I saw um, Mark Ingram was mic'd up a a few, maybe a few games ago where he was talking about Toro. He's like, well, that's why he's mascot of the year. I think he was repelling from the roof of NRG Stadium. But what do you think it was that Toro did that really set him apart in this particular year? We always see these crazy stunts, but do you, do you think there was something in particular that really set him apart this year? Uh, I think so. I mean, obviously we do a lot year to year, every single year, um, but for winning the 2020-2021 NFL Mascot of the Year Award, I think the biggest thing we can kind of point back to is, uh, you know, last year was, was crazy. And uh, when everyone was forced home, uh, Toro came up with this great idea, virtual school like room visits. Uh, So we did over 200 visits, uh, basically just calling into different classrooms and just hanging out with the kids and we played games and uh, just kind of an opportunity to kind of like spread a little bit of joy when things were a little strange. So it's like these kids are all at home and are just on their laptops and school was not necessarily normal in any way, shape or form. And we just wanted to bring a little bit of joy. So after starting the program out, we started to see all the mascots, I mean, in Major League Baseball and the NBA guys across the entire country started kind of following our lead. So I think that was a big part of it for sure was basically revolutionizing kind of what mascots were doing for a couple months there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on top of that, I mean, last year was, uh, was big for us just when it came to our game presentation stuff we were doing at get home games, you know, on social media, I think we had a pretty good year. So I just think overall, we did a great job of kind of showcasing everything we were doing in sort of a strange and as everyone would say, like unprecedented times. So I think it was just, uh, it was one of those things where all of our ideas kind of came together perfectly and, those virtual visits were, were really, really amazing. I'm always so impressed with Troy's social media savvy. Like he's on the right. ball with responding and liking and, and posting funny memes and anything that's going viral, Toro's on top of it. How do you and Toro, how do you guys keep on top of things when it comes to social media? I mean, it's hard because you just got to be present at all times. Uh, but social media, I mean, it's a perfect kind of chance to give a mascot a voice, right? Like mascots don't get to talk when they're out in the community. But they've got thumbs sometimes. Uh, and, you know, I've got thumbs. So even if Toro can't tweet something or can't post something on Instagram, uh, that's an opportunity for, for me to help out. And uh, on top of that, 
uh, we were one of the first mascots that were on TikTok. So, uh, you know, last year, Bidding the Bull, he was, he really kind of blew up everywhere, but we were right behind him. So we were all over TikTok for a while there. And I tell you what, TikTok is a strange platform, but it's a lot of fun. It's, it's all about creativity and having fun and just kind of being funny. Right. And so that's, that's a perfect ground for a mascot to kind of showcase who they are. So last year was, was great because we were able to really just kind of break loose and just do some goofy things on social media. How about for yourself? How do you get into a job like this? You're not the mascot, but you're the mascot coordinator, but you're doing a lot of the brainstorming and helping uh, Toro come up with these ideas. What's your background? How did you get into this? Yeah, I definitely uh, never saw myself working for a mascot program. Um, I went to school at Texas Tech and I originally was studying architecture. Uh, so I thought oh. I'd be building, you know, actually, I wanted to build stadiums. I was like, my first dream was like, I want to build an NFL stadium one day. But when I started studying, uh, I just, I, something just didn't fit. I was like, this is not what I want to do. Uh, so I ended up getting my degree in advertising and, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to work in sports in some way. So kind of set out trying to figure out how to make that work. So I moved back here home to Houston, um, started working for as many teams as I could. So I was working for the Astros as an usher. So I was just standing at the top of sections, checking people's tickets. Um, and around that time too, I started selling tickets for the Dynamo, just trying to fill up my resume with as many sports jobs as possible. Um, and then basically a year after I graduated, I found out about the Battle Red program here at the Texans, applied for that. It was basically, it's like an events uh, assistance job. So you're out in the community helping out with all the initiatives we do, you know, signing up people for waivers or different uh, fan clubs. And I did that for about a year uh, and I was actually voted battle red of the year. So I uh, did a pretty good job. I have to say, I say, I don't want to brag too much, but I was pretty good there. And uh, right around after that first season of me working on battle red uh, ended the intern who was Toro's intern had left for another job. So they were looking for somebody to fill in. I threw my hat in the ring and ended up getting selected. So Toro saw something in me and I was Toro's intern for about a year and a half before I got hired full time. And uh, it's been smooth sailing since then. That's amazing. I had no idea that you were an architecture major and now here you are. Well, that just goes to show that you can make the most of any internship. You never know where it's going to lead you. What about game days? I know I've done some stuff during Texans games with Toro. It's so there's so many rehearsals. There's a lot of practice. And for Toro, it's every single game he's working on different things. What does a typical game day look like for Toro? It's a little crazy. I mean, people assume that, you know, when fans show up, you know, about an hour before kickoff, that's when game day starts. But for us, it's completely different. Uh, So we usually roll in. Let's say we have like a noon kick. We roll into the stadium around 5 a.m. So we've got a storage container in the stadium where we have all of Toro's props. So 5 a.m. we roll in. We start to move everything from storage to our locker room. So all the signs you see Toro use, any props for skits, you know, anything we're using for a stunt, whatever it may be, we move all that in. And that generally takes about an hour and a half or so. Um, once we've got everything moved in and organized, that's when we start going into rehearsal. So like you said, we rehearse before the fans come into the stadium. So if we have a skit we're doing, we're going to walk it over. We'll work with our camera operators. We'll work with our host. If it's you or if it's Drew or if it's Cecil now, we'll work with, you know, our camera operators, like I said, and just make sure everything's going to look good. So we know that things are going to be crazy when there's fans in the seats, but we want to make sure we've walked it at least once to make sure we have everything going and everything looks right. Then around uh, 10 o'clock, uh, that's when Toro's basically game day ready. So at that point, we're, we go outside, we hit the tailgating lots, we go out to Bud Light Plaza. That's kind of our chance to kind of interact with fans before game day actually starts up. 
So we'll go and say hi to our favorite tailgates out there. And I just know people probably see us driving around in that red Ford that we're always in blaring music. So it's a great time just to kind of see the fans before we're inside. And then 1130, that's when our pregame show starts. So we get ready. Toro gets introduced. We have our fan intro. So you see Toro coming out of our new bull tunnel. Uh, and then, of course, always with four to ride out with Toro. So we have a fan who gets to ride out with Toro as the team gets introduced. Um, and then the actual game starts and it feels like we've already basically finished like a whole day worth of work. So once the game starts, that's where it's like, it kind of, you know, we're so busy, but that's where the fun starts. Like up till that, it's like kind of chaotic and we're just trying to get to that point. Once the game starts, that's when it's fun, right? Texans football's here. Uh, so we get to hang out with our, you know, our fans. We see all our season ticket holders in the first row, interact as many people as we can. And then generally the first quarter break, that's when our skit is. So if Toro's going up to the stands to do something funny, or we've got a cool video skit we're doing, uh, we execute that in the first quarter break. And then at that point, we generally take a break. So we give Toro a chance to drink some water, cool off a little bit, make sure that he's uh, you know, going to be good for the rest of the game. And of course, Texans halftimes are infamous. We've got some great halftime shows we've had, uh, and we have a lot more great halftime shows coming up. But then from there on out, we basically, what we call, uh, we call them our progressions, but we basically get involved with our home field advantage. So we've got the best fans of the NFL, and Toro's kind of the lead to that. We call him the conductor of the crowd. So uh, we give Toro these signs, these prompts, and it just kind of gives an opportunity for Toro to become basically the leader of our home field advantage. So if it's, you know, a loud, louder, loudest prompt, or just telling the crowd to make noise, we basically try to lead that off. So second half is all about just getting involved with the game and the game flow. And then once the game ends, we have to break all that stuff down and get everything back from our locker room, back to storage. So they're generally like 12 hour days. So 5 a.m., 5 p.m., we are going strong. Yeah, I've got so many great memories of Toro skits over the years, but I want to ask you, do you have a favorite memory or moment with Toro that really stands out in your mind? I mean, game days are incredible, but I think more the stuff that hits me more is more stuff we do out in the community i mean we're out so much like people think that like we work the texans it's all about game day and obviously game day is huge we only have 10 home games a year so there's still a lot of time left in the uh, the year for us to be busy so in a usual year we're doing 300 to 400 appearances outside of game days um, and just being in the community is huge that's that was the big thing for me um, when i wanted to work in sports i knew i wanted to be involved in the community some way I grew up here in Houston. So like, this is home. So getting to go out and like experience things with our fans, that's huge. But I think one specific moment, um, I was just really, really, really cool and kind of surreal was, um, so our educational school programs, we have three of them that we had a fitness show, an anti-bullying show, and then like a star preparation show. And we were doing a bullying show at my elementary school. Uh, so it was just, it was insane to be back at my elementary school, talking to the kids about, you know, how they can handle bullying and, and get to see my old elementary teachers who are still there. And like, here I am as an employee of the Texans kind of going back to my old stomping grounds again to talk to the kids. It was just, it, I felt like a, like a celebrity, but it's like, obviously I'm there with Toro. So I think people probably were like, oh, like, this is really awesome. Look at the Houston Texans are here, but Toro is obviously going to be the main part of the show. But that show, I felt like I was maybe a little bit higher up on the list. Total full circle moment for you. And, and you mentioned celebrity. Toro's the biggest celebrity when it comes to being around the kids and some of the youngest Texans fans. And I think that with Kids Day game coming up and the, and the Texans hosting the Rams, that's obviously going to be a really big game for you and Toro and, and the whole squad. So tell us a little bit about what you've got planned. I know you've got a lot of really cool activities planned. Plus it's Halloween, which that has never happened before. So what, what do you guys have in store for Kids Day? 
Oh man, we've got a lot. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a huge one. Um, Kids Day, when we when they put the themes out and they kind of announce which game is going to be which, Kids Day is always, always the one that we circle. So we're really excited for this Sunday. Uh, and we've got a lot planned. So like you said, um, big, big, big day for us. Obviously, we're going to have some, uh, some local mascots out. We have a spooktacular pregame party. So we have an opportunity for people to hang out with Toro and his friends, take a photo with the uh, mascot of the year trophy. That uh, should be a really cool time. And uh, we've got some gifts and there's going to be trick-or-treating and giveaways. It's, it's going to be awesome. Um, so it should be a really cool chance for people to, to interact with Toro in, in a way that they normally don't get to. It's like I said, on game day, we aren't normally out as much as we would be for this one. So it's awesome. It's, uh, it's $10 a kid, I believe. And uh, we do have the people who are signed up for Toro's Kids Club. But why wouldn't you want to be a Toro's Kids Club member? Uh, you get a lot, you can get access to a lot of uh, amazing special treats. So if you are signed up, I think you should be. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys at that pregame party, but that's not even uh, close to everything we got planned. So that's just beforehand. Um, we also have some really cool opportunities in game uh, for kids to help out. So we're calling this our kids jobs. So we have people who are going to be helping out with uh, Drew as a game day central anchor. We've got people who can be helping out at pregame entertainment. Uh, we've got someone who's going to be helping out with our public address announcer. They're going to be making announcements all during the game. And we have someone who's going to be helping out with our new DJ, DJ Athens. So just like a really oper- cool opportunity for kids to uh, help out with our game day and be a part of Texans game day. And then of course, there's just going to be a lot going on uh, with it being Halloween. We're asking everybody to wear costumes. So parents dress your kids up, have fun. I think I might wear a costume. I haven't decided what yet, but uh, you know, I know Toro, he always comes with the, the good Halloween costumes. Uh, last year he dressed up as Thor or Thoro. So I know he's got uh, some good ones for this year too. So like I said, make sure to dress you guys, your kids up as, uh, as a, in a costume for this game. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Um, junior cheer is performing as well. And then on top of that, at halftime, we're going to be celebrating Toro winning mascot of the year. So Toro's got a lot planned for that. We've got a stunt planned for halftime as well. And uh, all of Houston mascots are going to be involved with that halftime show as well. So it's going to be a blast. It is going to be a blast and we can't wait to see it. I love all the kids being involved in the kids day game and Toro does so <laughs> such a great job with the kids and on every game. So it'll be a lot of fun to see. Ryan, Thank you so much for the time. Congrats again on being named NFL's mascot of the year. Can't wait to see what Toro's got in store for us for the kids day and for the rest of the year. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, we look forward to seeing more of you around the community and on game day. Yeah. If you ever see Toro out and about, I'm probably lurking around somewhere. (laughs) I'm most likely I'm on my phone taking pictures or videos. Toro is very, very adamant that we get a lot of content from those events. But yeah, if you ever see Toro, come find me. And follow him on social media, right? Yep, Instagram, Texans TikTok. Toro One, yeah. Texans Toro One, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. Yeah, give give Toro a follow and thanks so much, Brian, for the time. Problem. Thank you so much. All right, looking forward to it. The first Halloween game for the Texans. Can't wait to see what Toro's costume is. And I've been trying to convince Drew Doherty to dress up as Ted Lasso, and I don't think I was successful, which I'm really disappointed in because he kind of already looks like Ted Lasso, especially when it's November. November and he's got the mustache. So anyway, I'm going to keep working on it. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to come to a Texans game, just go to HoustonTexans.com slash tickets. And if you can't come to the game and you want to catch the pregame show, you can catch that as well. Just follow us on all social media accounts. Download the Houston Texans mobile app. And we've got Texans Unlimited presented by Verizon, where we answer your fan questions, tell you who's active and inactive, the starting lineup. Sometimes we do arrival photos, which is a lot of fun. We answer your fan questions and get into the top 
stories of the week. That's all the pregame on the pregame show. Uh, Texans Unlimited presented by Verizon. You don't want to miss it. You're not going to get a pregame show like that anywhere else. And uh, you know what? You're not going to get a podcast like this anywhere else because that's going to do it for us. A three-parter. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, go Texans.